Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Delighted to have you with us as we come together working to preserve truth, justice, and the American way. Democrats struggling with both truth and justice when they talk about January 6th these days. The president is no better. Truth, the farthest thing from President Biden's mind when he gave his commencement address at the University of Delaware this past Saturday. Not for the first time, President Biden falsely claimed that Trump supporters had killed police officers in the January 6th demonstrations and riots on Capitol Hill. Biden called the Trump supporters insurrectionists, staying with the Democrat party line and narrative, of course. For the record, one Capitol Hill police officer did die the day after, but his death was found to have been caused by two strokes the result of a blood clot in an artery. Two other policemen died in the weeks after January 6th, both suicides. In July of that year, two more police officers who were at the Capitol on January 6th also committed suicide. Four officer suicides. Highly unusual, don't you think? But the president chose not to note their causes of death, and he should have. And the four suicides should have been investigated already. Instead, they're just a line in the Democrat narrative of lies about January 6th. Vice President Harris this weekend at the funeral of a victim of the Buffalo racially motivated massacre said the country is in an epidemic of hate. Harris may be right, but we know the fundamental reason for both tragedies in Buffalo and Texas is the mental illness of both shooters. Of course, neither Harris nor Biden has addressed that issue following both incidents. And until we do address that issue, honestly and forthrightly, the tragedies are likely to go on needlessly. The Biden administration seems unaware of their standing in the opinion polls, and that standing is a record low. Almost 80% say the country's headed in the wrong direction. Yet President Biden and his puppet masters seem to think they can just stay the course, that they can go on with their politics of division and hate while they push CRT, DEI, that is critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion or identity, and other Marxist doctrine, whether in our schools, government, or business. And they aren't backing off, in fact, trying harder now than ever to keep parents barricaded from their children when the children are in the classroom. Congressman Byron Donalds is demanding answers from schools and textbook publishers about their insistence on talking race in the classroom and publishing textbooks with CRT and DEI in them, even in math textbooks. Congressman Donalds is our guest today, and Congressman, it is great to have you back with us here on The Great America Show. 
it's good to be back with you. Congressman, I have to say your performance on the panel on CRT in Florida math books was, I thought, outstanding, educational, strong, and put a lot of people who didn't want to be uh, on, on tender hooks. Uh, here, here is the congressman asking uh, essential questions about CRT and mathematics. I don't want children being being focused, having their attention distracted from actual learning. If we're going to talk about history, let's talk about history. But if we're going to bring in subjective material into the classroom, that is the problem that has some parents upset in the United States. And that's the concern that we need to think about. That is not a free speech issue because students are a captive audience. They don't get to leave. Adults, we can walk out anytime we want to. The kids cannot. That's why this is such an important discussion to be had. Madam Chair, thank you so much for the indulgence. Congressman Byron Donalds. And uh, Congressman, again, it's great to have you with us. And it's especially great to see you performing at a high level for parents uh, who are so worried about their children and the attempted intervention in that relationship between parents and children in our public schools by textbooks, uh, textbook makers, uh, the, the teachers' unions, and all sorts of nonsense. Are you making headway? I, I think what's happening is we're getting the information out for people to see it, and, and not just you know on the Republican side of the aisle. <clears throat> I think the arguments uh, that a lot of us have with respect to being opposed to critical race theory, subject matter, being introduced in textbooks and curriculum um, and worksheets um, through just classroom discussion, I think the points we're making are becoming very clear. In that hearing, um, two of the, of the majority's witnesses, two of the Democrats' witnesses in that hearing, uh, one was a principal um, who was fired in Texas because he would not stop using CRT in his school, so he was fired by his school district. <clears throat> the other one was a, 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 a lady who works at a nonprofit think tank that centers around free speech issues, free ideas, so on and so forth. Um, so when I showed them all the graph from this textbook, the principal thought it was okay. But the, the, the star witness for the Democrats actually agreed with me that this was material that was inappropriate to be in a mathematics textbook. And I think for a lot of people on the other side of the aisle or people who are just independent, they don't really know how they feel about it or, or what they know about this issue. The key thing is, is you do not want subjective material in front of children. Like, just have them be focused on learning. Once they become adults, once they go to college, if you want to start having more esoteric and philosophical <clears throat> uh, conversations about systemic racism, critical race theory, that's okay, I guess, at the college level, but it's not okay in K-12 through education. They need to be getting the basics of education, understanding basic facts that we all agree are legitimate and, and, and factual. And then from there, you can go off into your more Socratic thinking later on down the line as you mature, as you become older, so on and so forth. Right. Well, I think that's generous of you to call it Socratic thinking, uh, because most young adults are engaged in some kind of thinking, and usually it's not quite as, as rigorous as Socratic, but I, I take your meaning and I agree with you entirely. Uh, when you talk about mathematics, and this to me is just a, an essential truth, mathematics is objective. There is no room 
yeah. for subjectivity, unless you're getting into theoretical mathematics, uh, which, by the way, some, <laughs> as we know, some people have tried to do with basic math. It is, it's just stunning to think that would we would see CRT, uh, that textbook manufacturers would have the arrogance to insert CRT into their textbooks and to put it uh, in the marketplace, if you will, and to have it accepted. A lot of school districts, I'm sure, have no idea what's in those textbooks because they just take the state ed uh, department's uh, word for it all. That's absolutely correct. So if your state has a state department of education that either A, promotes it, or B, doesn't look for it, um, it's in your textbooks. It's in textbooks in fifth grade. It's in textbooks in eighth grade. It's in textbooks in high school. And, and this is the problem, Lou, is that the textbook manufacturers, they do the same diversity, equity, and inclusion seminars that the school districts do. They, do, they get them from the same nonprofit think tanks that actually do subscribe to critical race theory. And so these things are coming in through textbooks, through classroom material. And so the argument from the political left is we don't teach critical race theory in schools. Uh, that's technically correct. There are no real classes on critical race theory. There are in a handful of schools throughout the country, but it's not, you know, for lack of a better word, systematic throughout the entire United States. But what is clear, what is apparent, is that in textbooks and in curriculum, those topics um, are being brought into the textbooks. So as a child is doing a math problem, they're having to, to wade through a chart on implicit biases and the chart was created by one of these nonprofit foundations that subscribes to critical race theory. Right. It's, it is peculiar to me that people do not always grasp that if you have created a system of indoctrination, left Marxist left indoctrination in point of fact, across K through 12, and of course, throughout higher education, that you're going to have professors who are writing textbooks who are leftist and who will be subscribing to various Marxist philosophies, including uh, DEI, ESG, uh, CRT. I mean, you can go through the alphabet with these people. It's all hogwash, every bit of it. Uh, and to be teaching children, particularly really young is. children, uh, that, that, that they're disadvantaged uh, or that they are either uh, oppressors or oppressed. This is madness. Because the public school system in this country is why we're where we are today as a nation. It is the great equalizer. You can take all of the programs and all of the nonsense and all of the trillions of dollars we've spent, and nothing is more important to changing the lives of young people, uh, of every race, uh, every creed, you name it, than education, public education. I mean, Lou, you said it better than I could. I mean, you're preaching right now. I say you continue to do that. But listen, you're absolutely right. If the changing the educational landscape, if a child is actually, number one, learns the basics of reading, writing, arithmetic, arithmetic, history, that's number one. Number two, if a child actually has the opportunity to learn what their strengths are as an individual, which is something I think that actually has been missing in education for the last 50, 60 years, is that everybody, you, me, doesn't matter who it is, everybody has an inherent gift, talent, strength that God has given them. You know, like there are things I'm great at, my wife is not great at, and vice versa. But if you don't know what that is, a lot of times we don't really figure that out. So we're 
30 years old, 35 years old, that we really figure out, like, oh, my gosh, this is the thing that I really can do and do well. What we should be doing in education is helping children find what their strengths are so that as they go through the education process, especially in high school, they can begin to focus on what their strengths are. Because we all know when you when you're an adult, the area that you work in, the thing that you do to make a living, the thing that you do to, to transform an industry, the business you start, whatever that is, a lot of that is because it's a strength, it's a passion that you've had for a very long time. Now you've just figured out how to monetize it and be able to do it in our economy. So we should be helping kids find their strengths a lot sooner so that they then can look at education as a way to enhance their strengths, to leverage, leverage their strengths to being productive men and women in America. I, well said, and I have, I have to say the, the the I wish that I could believe that that the National Teachers Federation, the NEA, would be listening to Congressman Donalds and taking his advice. But right now we are locked up in a contest, a political contest in this country uh, between the left's agenda uh, and and what the American people need uh, right now, just for their basic survival. In this hyperinflationary period, uh, in this period in which we are racked by so many disruptions and and difficult difficult challenges, uh, it, it's it it is just scary to think what our children must feel as they're witnessing adults flail uh, as our Congress and our Senate uh, tries to at least keep up with the issues that are so important to the nation. It really is a a, a terrifying moment, I'm sure for many of those children, because they're being told between the fifth and uh, between the ages of five and nine, uh, they're, they're talking, they're sitting there talking about sex and gender uh, choices. Uh, this is madness, is it not? It absolutely is. I mean, first of all, a child doesn't hit puberty till 11 years old, maybe 12. So why are you talking about sexual identities in, kinder- in kindergarten and third grade? In fifth grade, I have an 11, I have a 10 year old son. He's actually turning 11 uh, this weekend, Lou. Well, happy birthday. We, he knows he's a, he knows he's a boy, but have we engaged in sexual identity conversations? No, we have not. Number one, because he's a boy. He knows that. I know that. And so the conversation's kind of over from there. But the reality is he's not mentally mature enough. He's not emotionally mature enough. And his body's going to undergo so many physiological changes over the next five to seven years. He's not prepared for that conversation. I think that what the, the things that we've allowed to happen in the United States, where you're talking to children at such young ages about their gender identity, about their sexual orientation, is that they're still changing and evolving. They've not become who they're actually going to be as young adults moving into adulthood. Why would you, why would you inject conversations into a, into children writ large when you know they're not even fully developed, both mentally and physically. Just to me, it doesn't make any sense. It's insane to me, but yeah, there are people who legitimately think this is okay. They may legitimately think that, uh, as you put it, but I also think you use the right word. This is insane. And we've got to be questioning the, the, the emotional and, uh, and mental state of these teachers and these teachers organizations that are pushing this uh, on our children and trying to do so, by the way, without involving parents, 
by trying to do it in the classroom. And I, there is no class on CRT. There is no class on gender identification. This is being insinuated into these young people's uh, time in school. And as you pointed out so eloquently, you know, children don't have a choice. They're a captive audience. And every parent, every one of us should be rigorously and diligently making certain what is being said and done in those classrooms. Because frankly, this is far too important to trust to uh, two unions uh, and a group of uh, obviously emotionally disturbed people who want to talk sex to children uh, of those ages. It's it's appalling. Listen, I got to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, Lou, I have a friend of mine who uh, represents, uh, he's on a city council in a major city in our country. Uh, he's on the other side of the aisle, okay? We had a conversation about this, and he said to me, he was like, my party is crazy when it comes to this. He was like, I don't know what is wrong with them that they think this is okay. Because the one thing we know, and this is going to be an issue for Democrats, you know, this is the political side of this. There's a lot of black voters, the majority of black voters, do not want you talking to their children about gender identity. They just, they do not want that at all. Um, that is something in the black community that it's just not up for discussion. Like you're like my mother, there's no way my mother would let some teacher talk to me about my gender identity when I was eight years old or nine years old. No, there's no way she would not stand for it. There's no way. And so I think that what Democrats need to understand on this issue is that they cannot allow their radical flank to basically move them out of the mainstream because that's what's happening. Because when you have vote, not just conservative voters, not just Republican voters, when you have voters overall who are basically like, that's crazy. Um, I'm not subscribing to that. That's when the problems really occur for them as a party. I've got to be straightforward with you on this congressman. I could care less if a Democrat, a Democrat anywhere ever wins election again. Because what they have done in this country in the last few years and what they did to President Trump and to this nation uh, during his presidency is unspeakably evil. And we are watching your mother would have to contend, by the way, you know, and I take your point and I applaud her, but she would be fighting Disney right now. And most of corporate America, because they are behind this nonsense. They are supporting this nonsense, whether it's Antifa, whether it's Black Lives Matter, or the just nonsensical doctor, uh, doctrines of CRT, DEI, uh, and ESG. They have latched onto this. And most people think of business people as conservative, right? They're not. They're yep. scared to death of being uh, called a racist. They're scared to death of being involved in a controversy unless you're Disney and which they've decided to put themselves. Here's the most important, powerful, prestigious uh, child entertainment brand in the world. And they just sided with the LGBTQ plus community against parents and their children. It's that simple. I mean, look, Disney made a decision as a company and looking at their stock price and looking at some of their lack of subscribers and the, the cancellations, they made the wrong one as a company. I mean, listen, Disney, and this is the problem with Disney specifically. Disney was founded basically up, upon giving content for children to dream and to, and, to, and to have fantasies and just have entertainment. That's what Disney was based upon. 
But when you now know that there are executives at Disney who are on the record saying they want to like, you know, queer up all the content, like again, that doesn't make any sense. That's insane. Like you have parents who, you know, listen, first of all, let's, let's take a step back off of this one. People who are LGBTQ. Um, that's a choice you make in your life. I respect your choices, even though I may not agree with them, but I respect them because you're an individual. You're allowed to live your life. I'm allowed to live mine. This is America where we respect, we respect people's ability to be free and we're tolerant of those things. Okay. The problem is just like I would say there are some in the LGBTQ community who do not want me to impress my values on them. I don't want their values to be impressed on me. And this is the problem we're having right now with Disney and frankly, in a lot of entertainment where they've made a decision where they're going to impress the values of the LGBTQ community of that some share, not all, I'm just saying some, to, to, regardless of whether the rest of America wants it or, or not, likes it or not, agrees with it or not, and they feel that they are justified in doing so. That's what's creating the conflict. It's not that people are making decisions about who they want to love, who they want to spend their time with, etc. It's that we've come down this road where they feel that th- there is a mission to actually impress, impress their agenda regardless of what anybody else thinks that is wrong. And so Disney taking the stance is going to lose a lot of customers because of it, because you have parents who take their kids to Disney parks. They take their kids to Disney movies. Like Lou, I love Marvel. I'm a Marvel guy. I've watched like basically <laughs> all the movies until, until the, like the most recent Dr. Strange. I just haven't seen that one, but I got to tell you, I love the, I love the entertainment. But Disney's gone too far as a company. I'm not supportive of what they're doing as a company. Now, as corp- as a corporate uh, as the corporate citizen, what they need to do is get out of politics. Right. Just run your business and get out of politics. Run your business. Um, respond to your shareholders. Be cognizant of what your customers actually want, and move on. Because that's what we always want companies to do. Just do your business. But when you try to inject yourself in culture wars. That's when you're going to be faced with a backlash from people, and Disney's already seeing that. Yeah, I, and I I agree with you. They've got to get out of politics, but first, politics has got to get rid of them. And one of the most, and you use the the term, the, this is a flashpoint uh, in the language of debate over corporate power in this country. Corporate citizen, a corporation, a U.S. multinational corporation, trying to play. Uh, U.S. citizen is an absurdity, and to adopt rights that are given to to living, breathing citizens, uh, I think is a is a an absolute grotesque uh, torture of the of the Constitution. It's in law now that they have those same rights, but I think we all have to admit that's a fiction, and we've got to get rid of it. And those rights of free speech and so forth, I don't think extend to corporations. And I certainly don't think that anyone, either party, by the way, but the Democrats will have a hard time with this one. Uh, I don't think either party should put up with their interference or be allowed to take their money. It's that it's just that simple. Well, I mean, look, the Democrats, they, they hated the Citizen United ruling until they figured out how to use it. And now they like it. So very quietly, they don't really talk much about Citizens United anymore. Absolutely. Dark money. Right. They use three times the amount of dark money that Republicans do. Let's just be honest, folks. That's what happens. The, the New York Times reported that. 
So this isn't Byron Donald saying it. That was the New York Times. At the dark money pools, the Democrats have three times the amount of dark money in politics. And and Arabella and all of the Soros money and the, the money of other billionaire donors that are uh, driving, uh, unfortunately, elements of both parties, but uh, certainly uh, the Democratic Party right now is, as you say, they are the masters of the of the dark pool. And we're paying a, a yes. heavy, heavy price. George Soros comes out and finally he says something that besides, you know, let's get rid of prosecution, get rid of laws. Let's give everyone a free pass, irrespective of conduct and criminal or otherwise. Uh, he finally said it's not in the interest of the United States to be supporting Russia and China. Where has he been? We've been talking about this issue in this country for 20 years. And suddenly he has decided that maybe it's not the brightest idea in the world to push billions and hundreds of billions and trillions of American dollars while we're going through a turmoil in our markets toward China, which is what so many Wall Street firms are doing right this very moment, urging investors to put their money over there, investing in whose future? This is, again, we, we are a society wracked uh, with conflict and contradiction, and in some cases, downright, uh, I think, uh, insanity, as you put it. Oh, I want to, if I may, step to a, a different issue, uh, and I, I applaud your positions and what you're doing. Uh, congratulations, Congressman. Uh, I, the House Republicans, including you, sponsoring uh, legislation to move forward, to get to the bottom of how the Disinformation Governance Board, the so-called Truth Ministry, was created and who decided who and how it would be run. How is that going? Because I'm, I am on the edge of my seat wanting to find out who had the temerity to do that. Well, like most things in Washington right now, if Republicans sponsor it, the, uh, the Democrats don't even want to touch it or talk about it. <clears throat> I mean, being honest, I doubt Nancy Pelosi will even allow the bill to be heard. Um, in the oversight committee, uh, we are, I sit on oversight. We're not having any discussions about this or, or many things, actually. Um, at all, because they don't want to do their job and hold the administration accountable. Right. But I think it's important to understand that what's really happened is the American people pushed back in such a way that Nina Jankovic had to get fired. And they, you know, now they're saying they're going to put a pause on this. So coming up in the next Congress, when, when Republicans take back the House, like we are going to have investigations on this. We're not just going to sit back and just let them kind of put this thing, sweep it under the rug, put it in mothballs act like it didn't happen. And then it all, and then just when they get back in power again, at some point in the future, all they're going to do is bring it back. That's all they'll do is the next time they bring it back, it'll just be quiet. You won't even know what happened and then they'll be active and running. So, you know, short order, you know, we're bringing the legislation forward. Nancy Pelosi won't hear it, but when we take back um, the, the, the house of representatives in the fall, we're going to hold hearings on this and we're going to have to get to the bottom of it because a disinformation board should never exist in the United States government. That's not their job. They're constitutionally authorized to do a few things. That's what they should do. No more, no less. Uh, without question, without question. And the idea that government would have the power to decide what is true and what is false is a very dangerous power indeed to uh, imbue uh, government with. Uh, let's, let's talk about this, uh, this election. Where do you think it's going to go? Where do you think the Republicans will be in the House in particular uh, after the, the midterms. 
Um, I think, honestly, I think it's going to be uh, a bad election night for Democrats across the board. And I'm not just talking about in Congress. I'm talking about in state legislatures. I'm talking about in local lo- local government elections, school board members. It- it's going to be a washout. Um, I- honestly, the American people have had enough. And the, di- the difference, I would say, now than most election cycles is the American people have had, have had two years under COVID lockdowns to just see and observe what government power really is and what it really means. And they don't like it. I think in the House, I think we're going to probably take maybe 35 or 40 seats. Um, I think that's kind of where the number is going to be. In the Senate, I think we pick up three Senate seats, maybe four. Um, I, I think that's definitely doable. Um, but I think the bigger gains, which you're going to see, and this is something that's really been hurting of the Democrat Party for quite some time, and it's why they have no bench, is – They've they've been losing state legislative races and losing state state houses across the country. I think they're going to lose more. I think we're going to listen. We're going to pick up state legislative seats in New York and California. That's how bad it's going for the Democrats right now. And they only have themselves to blame because they adopted the Bernie Sanders agenda and they have probably the most incompetent politician in the history of the country at the helm. It's he is impaired. He is uh, inexplicable. 80, almost 80% of the country thinks the country is headed in the wrong direction. So I think there is every political wind blowing that, uh, to support uh, your, your prediction. Certainly. Uh, I, I also think that the Republicans are going to have a real challenge. Uh, your leadership are rhinos, whether it is Mitch McConnell in the Senate or Kevin McCarthy in the house. And I know that none of the Republicans want to talk about this. The conference doesn't want to take it up, nor should they, in point of fact, politically. But when that election is held, do you think there will be an appetite to go to stronger traditional Republicans for leadership rather than turn over the leadership of the Republican Party on Capitol Hill to the liberal wing of the party? Well, I mean, look, I, I can't speak for the Senate because I'm not in there and I don't know what they're, what those senators are really thinking about on this issue. I know in the House, um, one of the things that a lot of House Republicans have been pushing forward and pushing strong on um, on Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise is to actually have an agenda. That's why we're working on one right now. And what I'm going to say about this is there's a lot of Republicans, Lou, who are like me that are in the House. Like we didn't come for a career in Washington. We're not trying to be there for 30 years. We're coming to do a job, get it done and go back home. And so I think what you see now in the Republican conference is a much more conservative conference than even in the Tea Party wave when they came in in, in 2010 and 2012, because when the Tea Party wave got to D.C., like that, that was it. It was about 30 of them. And that, and that was it. It's yeah. easily half the Republican conference is, is, is actually quite conservative and they want to see action. And we're not going to sit around and, and, and wait for and sit around for bad deals. Uh, to come forward because it's just not going to sit well with the members. It's not going to sit well with the voters. But then there's another there's another thing going on. The two more variables that are out there, um, they're both uh, residents of the great state of Florida. One's the 45th president of the United States and the other is the governor of Florida. And those two gentlemen are not going to sit back and just watch House uh, House leadership and Senate leadership just do the same old, same old with nothing to say about it. Donald Trump's got a lot to say. He's going to say a lot more. I expect it to come. And I think Ron DeSantis got a lot to say. I expect that to come as well about what Republicans should be doing on Capitol Hill. Two strong voices. Uh, It is still the America first party. It is still the make America great party. Uh, Ron DeSantis up and coming without question. Uh, 
and it is as uh, Ed Rollins, uh, the most uh, uh, knowledgeable and most experienced and I think brightest political strategist in the country t- told me uh, uh, recently, uh, this, this president is the most dominant force for, of any president in American history post-presidency. And I believe yes. that that is going to be a, a, an immense help to the Republican Party, not the, not the liberal establishment uh, uh, part of the party, but certainly to the Republican Party and the American people. I want to say, Congressman, as we conclude here, we always give our guests the last word. Uh, your thoughts and concluding thoughts, uh, and thank you for being with us here today. Uh, my concluding thoughts are basically that, you know, the American people are tired, man. Like we, Everybody just wants to get back to an economy that works, to a border that works. To having a strong standing on the on the global stage, and and to stop all this uh, tinkering and experimenting with our kids, I think if we can just get those four things done, we're we're fine. Like, America, we got issues. Don't get me wrong, but I'd rather take our problems than any other country in the world. I still rather be here. So does everybody else. Nobody's trying to leave, and you know we're not trying to go to Afghanistan in America. We're not trying to go to Ukraine in in America. We want to stay right here. So we you know we just need to just knuckle up, fix our problems. We can do the work. Um, but it's just going to take the voters to give us the, the the political vision and the political will to get it done. And I think we're going to see that in the midterm elections. Congressman Byron Donalds, I thank you so much. I look forward to our next conversation, and I wish you all of the very best. God bless you. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, everybody, for being with us today here tomorrow on The Great America Show. Our guest will be Wisconsin Special Counsel investigating what he has already determined is election bribery in the Wisconsin 2020 elections. Former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman will bring us up to date on his special counsel investigation and the opposition that he faces from the Wisconsin Democrat Party and left-wing media. We'll also be talking about what the Marxist Dems in the deep state are planning for this year's midterm elections. You know they'll keep trying. Be sure to join us. That's all here tomorrow on The Great America Show. Till then, God bless you, and God bless America. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.